to the Impeccable Perspective Podcast, where we help you discover gospel clarity and openness in a new way by letting go of the culture and finding your truth while having some fun doing it. Now, here are your hosts, Joe Peck and Luann Roundy. everyone welcome back once again for yet another exciting episode of the impeccable perspective podcast uh we are both still here say hello luann hello there we go Good see to that be here great to be here excited to be here yeah we're still very interested in bringing you quality entertainment mingled with gospel <laughs> doctrine <laughs> Sometimes more one than the other. More one than the other, yeah. Right. Lots of mingling going on there, yes. uh, which is okay. And uh, so, yes, we are uh, very excited about a, another fantastic topic that uh, we love and we think uh, needs to be talked about, and uh, we are going to tackle that today. It is a good day to record a podcast. So we are going to talk about trust today. Now, we touched on this a little bit in a, in a previous episode where we talked about trusting the Lord and leaning on your own understanding, but we want to basically talk more about trust in terms of what it means, where we place our trust, uh, trusting in God versus trusting in man, all of these uh, cool things, and also uh, the ugly side of trust when you have false trust or put your faith and trust in the wrong things. Right. So yeah, lots of good things to uh, to really dive into. So if you are ready, I am ready. So I th- yeah, I think it's more of an awareness of trust. I don't think most people think a whole lot about trust or really have an awareness of where is my trust? Who am I trusting in whenever I'm choosing where to put my time, energy, and effort for the day? Am I trusting in myself? Am I really delving into what is most important for me, or am I just in robot mode and doing what I've done every single day. We get very habitual and very into the groove. And that's the rut of doing the same thing over and over and not trusting in the Lord and not trusting in something bigger than ourselves and staying very small in our small self. And for me, that's where trust comes into play of, of how asking, asking and delving and, and really inquiring, where is my trust? Who am I trusting in? And with this decision, where's that coming from? Where where I'm going to go? The whole auto, autopilot thing is really just a form of, of checklist that we talked about before, right? Living that checklist, I have to just follow these things every single day and it's, do all this stuff. And it, 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 it kind of distracts you. It's all, to me, it's a big distraction, the concept of a checklist. It takes you away from what you should be focusing on. It's a checklist, and let's go a little bit deeper than that. So the checklist is a good little paper. Have my pen, have my paper, have my checklist here in front of me. That's... That is a very visual thing. Think of it more also like I have bubble wrapped myself. If you know how you want to bubble wrap your kids, that's kinky. They... You're still in the. Uh, <laughs> you, you're still in the uh, the no. last episode. You, now now you're thinking Saran wrap, and oh, what, what, what movie was that from? Oh, oh. we're um, well. I think a couple of times I remember the Full Monty. Uh, <laughs> he used Saran wrap, to, but that was because he felt he was overweight. But he, he wrapped himself in saran wrap saran thinking he was going to reduce weight, but then he sat in a shed and ate a Snickers bar uh, yes. at the same time. Yes. But what are you thinking of? Which movies uh, are you watching now? I'd like no, to know No, it this. was the one with uh, Kathy something, and she wanted to be sexy to her husband, so she saran wrapped herself. And oh, it was like a saran wrap outfit yes. or something? Yes. Oh, I see. No, it's different than saran wrap. Joe's mind went completely different. It's a bubble wrap in trying to protect ourselves because of my trust being broken, and I don't... And having all of these negative emotions that have presented, and I bubble wrap myself because I don't want to experience the world. So just imagine being bubble wrapped, things would be muted, and I wouldn't be feeling and experiencing life, protecting myself from being hurt or fear, you know, from fear of, okay, let's use dating. That's a good example. That's where trust issues run rampant in in the world. I go out, I date some guy. It just doesn't work out. I trust him that he loves me. He says he's doing what he's doing. Then I find out he's cheating on me, broken trust. 
And now I can't trust men at all. I'm going to bubble wrap myself and be completely isolated and not experience life because I'm not going out there. I'm not dating ever again. I'm not going to be hurt. I'm not going to ever trust men. Men are bad. These are all my thoughts. And that's not habits. That's more of my belief system. So that's where I'm going a little deeper. My habits that I check off and come from that belief system. My belief system all from broken trust believing that I can trust in man and he will always be trustworthy, but there is no truth to that. And also trusting in the leadership of the church that they need to spoon feed me answers and that they will not ever make mistakes. And it's, it's not wanting to make mistakes. So it's being a perfectionist, not wanting to fail. I'm going to have you tell me as a leader what to do. I'm going to do it. And then if it goes south, it's your fault. I'm going to blame you. I'm going to blame the church. I'm going to leave the church because it, I wasn't the one who made that choice and decision when really choices are why we're here. And then it's trusting in ourselves, trusting that I powerfully chose, trusting in the Lord that if he's telling me things that if I do them, it will bring my good. Now, though it may not be what I want and that's letting go of trusting in myself and trusting in him. I know you can see how destructive that is as well, and that that is like I see it every day in the church. You know, coming into the church, and I've been you know a member for twenty seven years, I think now, and you see it over oh, and over and over. You're dating again. yourself. I'm again. dating myself again. Yeah. I told you, it's, yeah. uh, I have an active social life with myself. <laughs> I'll take it. I'll, my calendar is open for dates, so if I'm dating myself, hey. Anyone interested, you can always just make a, a little comment, and Joe will you know <laughs> no, either swipe one way or the other on it. <laughs> Are you pimping? me out here what's going there on we here? there we go there we go uh okay that's fine are you blushing over there a little no, bit no no oh, okay. it's just hot in here all of a sudden <laughs> i don't know why i'm very sensitive to uh to the heat to my dating life wait don't talk dating. about that yeah, let's not talk about that <laughs> right so <laughs> getting back to uh to where we were before we got off track and uh, okay bubble life right so uh we are looking at uh, this is the big problem in the culture of the church that i've noticed all these years is that uh, you people are absolutely spoon-fed to believe that you have to trust in your leader. Like they're literally told that if you have a problem, you go to the bishop. And we've touched on this in other episodes as well, but that is a huge problem. But it's a programming that people, it's, just, it's, it's one of the traditions of man, isn't it? Because it gets passed down from generation to generation. This is what we always do. And when you have you know, someone who believes it, and then they live it. They're going to pass it on to their kids, and and you know they're just not going to know any different. And I, I don't know. I, I that that to me is is a huge problem. But people are just told that they have to trust in their leadership. They're told that they have to do what their leadership says they have to do, and they don't think for themselves anymore. And when things go south, and they do, because people are human, people make mistakes. There's mm-hmm. all kinds of leadership that makes mistakes. And, uh, and I think the problem is, you know, when we talk about people leaving uh, and being offended or just leaving because they put their faith and their trust in a leader and that went south and then their whole world collapsed. But the, the, I, I would always say that, well, these people left because they don't have a true testimony of the gospel. They don't have a testimony for themselves. My testimony is not in a bishop, it's not in a stake president, it's not in a leader, it's not even in the prophet, it's in my testimony comes from the Spirit, because it testified to me that the gospel is true. The culture is not true, but the gospel is true, and I have that, and I have these beautiful spiritual experiences that I can rely on to know when things go bad, or when you see a leader making a horrible choice and, and really breaking that trust that he has, you don't get all crazy about it. But, and I used to kind of chastise people who, who would leave the church because they're saying, well, you know, you never really had a testimony. Um, who cares what this guy says? And just, you know, if, if he didn't meet your expectation, suddenly you're going to leave. But the problem is they don't have a testimony is because of the church culture and Correct. what they've grown up in. And that's not their fault because they're from birth in this programming kind of mode, in this culture where they're being brainwashed, where they don't have to develop a testimony because they're spoon-fed everything and they're just told what to believe. And they're told this is true and this isn't true and you have to live this way and you don't have to live this way and you do what this person says and you do what that person says. And then you're setting yourself up for your world to come crashing down when inevitably people are human and they act like humans. And sometimes they make horrible 
mistakes that betray trust and hurt people. Other times they just make stupid mistakes that still make you wonder, right? Right. If, well, if this is true. And and yeah, they make mistakes and you look at them and think, oh, well, they shouldn't. You're shouldn't on them or shaming them for making mistakes as opposed to saying they're human too. They're going to make mistakes. They don't have a book that came down from heaven of instructions of how to do this. They're just doing the best that they can. And and it's not that you have to live that way. We become lazy learners. And that's one of the phrases, Joan, I really like is this lazy learner. <clears throat> I want to learn, but I don't want to make choices because then I'm held accountable for my choices. It is this lack of accountability that if I make that choice, then I can't blame someone else or I have to be held accountable. And And what's wonderful is, yeah, be held accountable for it own it and then ask to have it taken through the atonement but only through accountability through being able to say it is my sin it is something i missed the mark it is something that i I messed up with can i then own it before i can turn it over that would be like saying i could take joe has a really nice car i could take joe's car and give it to somebody else but i i can't because i don't own it first I have to own something before I can give it away. I don't own any of the bank owns it, but that's, I mean, that's just <laughs> well, life, the bank right? owns a lot the of stuff. A lot of stuff. <laughs> exactly, but you're right. But but it, I have to have ownership of anything before I can give it, including my sins, including my emotions. Blaming someone else for my emotions is never going to be healthy because then I can't have them healed through the atonement. And this is where trust comes in. Trusting myself, number one, and validating myself. I really am thinking, feeling, and experiencing this. I can trust my experience. Kids grow up not being able to trust their experience whenever they don't get validated by their parents. So let's say Susie Joe goes to school and um, Bobby is mean to her and pulls her hair and stomps on her foot and takes her um, Halloween candy because we're almost to Halloween. And she's really upset and she goes home and says, Mom, I'm so upset. And she's crying. You know how your kid comes home from school. I'm so, I'm so upset. Bobby pulled my hair and stomped on my foot and took my Halloween candy. And the mom says, well, that's not a big deal. Susie Joe is experiencing this, this really confusing thing of, wait a minute, I trusted what I'm thinking, feeling, and experiencing because I'm hurt and I'm, and I'm angry at him and um, I, I really want to haul out and hit him, but I didn't. You know, like there's all of these, these big emotions going on. And when she goes to mom wanting to validate that what I'm thinking, feeling, experiencing through this, and mom just says that's not a big deal. She's been invalidated. She doesn't know how to trust that experience, own it, or be able to turn it over because she's never owned. She doesn't know how to own those emotions since she hasn't been taught. And and that's the validating ourselves is trusting in ourselves. I really am having this human experience. It's mine to own, and I'm responsible for it. And that way, I'm not looking to the church owner, the church leaders, to own my stuff or to feed me, or to say, here's your testimony, here's my testimony, borrow it for a while till you get your own. I don't need to borrow your testimony. I need to say to myself, hey, I just noticed I really don't have a strong testimony. There, there's the awareness. Validating, I really don't. What do I want? I'd like to have that, and now what do I do? I go out and I search, ponder, and pray, and I put the time in it and not be a lazy learner, but a curious dedicated, willing to, to put the time, effort, and energy into finding that because that's the only way that I'm going to be able to trust in the Lord and be able to trust in my own testimonies when I have it. And that goes against everything that the culture teaches. That's the thing I don't exactly. get. Exactly. It, it does. It, it is not the doctrine of the church. But again, I think that they have the leaders have given the people what they want. And what's interesting is Joseph Smith People wanted to follow Joseph Smith and wanted to say, this is the church of Joseph Smith. And he said, oh, no, this is not the church of Joseph Smith. This is the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And that's where the name change came from. Remember when President Nelson said, we don't follow Mormon. This is not the church of Mormon. This is the church of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And that's why, though it's painful, we still need to change the name. So people have a clear understanding of where we put our trust and our faith, it's not in Mormon. We're not putting our faith in him. We're putting our faith in the Savior. Absolutely. And, um, you know, what I'm finding, too, is people, oddly enough, don't, I don't think they necessarily put their trust in the atonement. Uh, you know, speaking of the Savior, we have this, we've, we've got this, this beautiful, soft, 
comfy, warm, enveloping safety net in the atonement. That's what it is. It's mm-hmm. been there the whole time. It's been prepaid the whole time. It's, there's nothing you could ever do that wouldn't fall under the atonement. And we just get stuck in this culture where we are just told not to sin and it's a sin to sin and you get all this shame and all this guilt. Oh, I thought you were going to say a bad word there for a minute. I almost, (laughs) I'll get to that. I know. I'm going to start, I'm going to start using the word shite instead. Uh, It's a a combo word. Kind of. Well, it's, it's how the English say shit. And and, and so we want to keep this PG-13. So I'll just say shite uh, so that people don't have to hear the word shit on the podcast. (laughs) So there we go. But But shame is along the same lines. I would agree with that. Equated right along. There we go. I know. There was, well, I can't remember which Jim Carrey movie that was. (laughs) Where he, he goes into that, and he's they, they're daring him to say a word. And he's saying all these words that sound like it, using the same. Yes. It was something like shh. And LDS people, oh, the Mormon culture, might do that every once in a while. Slightly, slightly. Possibly. Yes, I know. Yes, indeed. But that the the the, the problem is there's just <laughs> so much shame, and it's all shite. Let's just be honest. It's all all the, the church culture is total shite, and it is making people walk on eggshells about everything, and they feel like they can't sin because I don't think that they trust that the, what the atonement really is. And they don't trust other people. Now no. let's, let's go to the next level of trusting people. I've sinned. I go to church. I stand up and I say, you know what? I've sinned. I did whatever, whatever that happens, that sin happens to be. And I've learned the beauty of the atonement that the savior came and took those feelings of hurt and pain and fear and distrust from me. And I am healed and I'm a changed creature. But they can't do that because of the shame and the distrust that if I share that, people won't judge me and say, oh, I don't like Luann Roundy anymore because Luann Roundy sinned and I don't want to be around her. As opposed to saying, wow, look, Luann Roundy is just like me. We all sin. We all make mistakes. We all need the atonement. But to partake of the atonement, I got to take the bubble wrap off because that's the thing. I become meek, humble, and submissive. The bubble wrap has to come off to be able to allow that to flow and allow myself to be heard again and allow myself to feel and experience. And people don't like taking off their protection and their layer of, I don't want to be heard. I don't want to feel those things again. And, and it's, they, they, they walk through life not experiencing it because they are in, in protect mode, in, in these stories, in this belief system that I have to protect myself, that I can't just live and be mindfully present in here and experience the way life the way God intended it for it to be. I want to take my humanness and protect myself that I, I like in dating. I'm never going to date again because I don't want to get hurt. I don't want to get rejected by a guy. And if I never date again, guess what? I'm never going to feel that rejection again. But you're never going to feel love either. There's the key. I'm never going to feel loved and and cherished and nurtured and connected. And there's always the dialectics of both sides. In order to feel love, I have to take the chance and be vulnerable. You do. You have to be vulnerable. You have to take that bubble wrap off. And I understand why you don't want to, because you, you did that once before and you were hurt and you promised yourself you would never do that again. And that's a great promise. You should not get hurt. But you have to understand that you talked about this, I think, in another episode that hurt happens in life. We're here and, and it's, it's ugly. right? It's, it's not perfect. It's not always going to be great. You're going to get hurt no matter what you do, but you'll never grow unless you take that chance. And the only way to and when it comes to dating and love, you have to open your heart and be willing to put it out there and take that risk. And, and that's OK. You'll you'll survive. You do. And that's understanding. God gave us the feeling of hurt to feel that and say, oh, I don't really want to be with that person. He chose to not be with me. It hurts. And I'm going to move on and find something else. And that's okay to do that. And that's where boundaries come in. If someone's abusive to me, they've hurt me through abuse. I don't want to be around that person. I'm choosing to set that boundary and move on and find something healthy or find someone who will love and accept me and trust. That's where I learned to trust in myself first. And trust has to come in myself first before it can then extend to other people. So I have to trust to learn my own feelings and validate my own feelings. Then I can learn to trust other people. Then that can build upon trusting people to trusting God because I can't just go from trusting nobody to trusting God. I have to have a, a concrete experience here in my earthly body, trusting 
a human, then I, and then I can trust God who is, that's a much bigger concept and it takes longer. You know, I can trust that I take an ibuprofen and 45 minutes later, my headache will feel better and it works. And that's where you learn how to trust. I trust that my parents will pick me up from school. I get out of school, I go out there and lo and behold, there they are. And I go, oh, that works. My parents love me, and love me, and they're going to take care of me because they were there to feed me and have a house for me. And well, unless your house, like mine, burned Actually burned down, and I no longer have a house. Yeah. But our <laughs> kids trust us. We have a rental home, but we have a place to live, food on the table, clothes. They take me to school. That and that's where that trust is built with your parents. You build trust in friends, but you have to have that before you can trust in the Lord and understand that very abstract concept. I have to have a concrete concept of it first. That's um, that brings up an interesting point for for me from my perspective. I um, one of the biggest challenges I think is you know when people come into the church, or even if you're in the church and you're just not active, or you're you know you're just whatever you're you're in your own situation. Um, there seems to just be this expectation that you have to go from not trusting anybody to trusting God in, in one step. One step. You go, and, and, and that's the thing. It's, it's coming in and it's saying, okay, well, yeah, you want to come to church, so here is you know, what you have to do. And here you have to start living this celestial law versus where you're at right now, which is not close mm-hmm. to the celestial not law. Even close. Not well, even they close. Don't, they don't even know what the celestial law is. No. How can I live it if I don't know it? And well, that's exactly. where we talked about false trust. Yeah. I put my trust in the world because that's all I've known. Can't change what I don't know. Mm-hmm. Don't know the celestial law, so I can't change to live it until wonderful missionaries bring it to you and you go, oh, I kind of already knew that. And I kind of already trusted that in this interesting feeling inside and, and that's where you you lean not to your own understanding, but to the Lord's and to your spiritual trust. Well, exactly. And uh, and I mean, that's definitely the, the path I went on um, for sure like that. But I noticed, you know, there's an expectation that you have to bridge that gap in one one step. Yeah. Right. Where, it's, but it's, it's impossible. <clears throat> but people, you know, come into the church or someone, you know, gets motivated and decides to come back to church. And all of a sudden they get a, a calling thrown at them. And all of a sudden they're expected to do this. And they're saying, well, you know, you have to start. We have to get you on the path to to go to the temple. Like that is like the first thing they do. Let's let's get you on a path. Going, you, you want to be active again? OK, great. So now we have to get you to the temple. Well, that's a that's a huge step. and It's a lot to take in. And people don't understand at that level when you're just, you know, getting back into church or just joining the church, you don't understand what that means for you and, and what it really takes to to get to that level. But there's that that's the culture of the church is this, this giant jump where you, you just they want to get everybody up to the same level. Right. Mm-hmm. And um, people, I think, lose trust in the church through the church culture but they lose trust trust in the gospel in the church when they're given this kind of task right where it's impossible and they're afraid to say because nobody wants to admit that they're wrong or not ready for something or or they're afraid to say i I see this as impossible because they want to be liked and they want to be accepted yeah it looks like it's weakness and all these things and you get these overzealous church leaders that they're you know they're just going by reports and goals and statistics and all these things it's like you know they're being asked well how many people hold a temple recommend in your ward in your stake and how many people are paying tithing and all this crap and they're just kind of driven by these numbers and it was that was the case when we used to have home teaching right it was just all about the numbers numbers. and and it just created the culture created this crazy stupid thing where people would just like talk to somebody in the grocery store and count it as a visit just to count it as a visit the whole point was counting it as a visit going over at 11 o'clock at night on the very last day of the month and dropping cookies on the doorstep and counting it as a visit and that, that has no value to anyone and it's stupid and it's not about statistics it's not about counting visits and getting credit for something it's about changing lives and it's about building a relationship with the savior and if you're at a certain level you're just joining the church or you are just coming back into activity you've been away for a long long time and you, you've never been to the temple, you've never really understood all of that kind of stuff, you know, it's okay to just come in and start taking baby steps from where you are and build and step up so that you build trust in the right. gospel. Trust you start is... to build trust in some other people. You start to build trust in your leaders. You start to build trust in, in, in the principles of the gospel. And you start to see, because trust will come from experience, I think, right? If well, you, trust is built. It's built. You it cannot is. have trust There's... from zero to 100 miles an hour. It's impossible. Are they building your house just like that in one step? No. that's They have to actually destroy my house before it can be rebuilt, which is 
built from one step at a time. One step, and that goes with the line upon line, precept upon yeah. precept. Here a little, and there a little. Everywhere it doesn't a little. Say, it's like the old McDonald's song. It me. is, but it's not a lot. It's here a little, and there a little. And the Savior grew in the same way. Joseph Smith grew in the same way. That's why he didn't see the Father and the Son, and the next day he got the golden plate. You know, I just used that in my in Sunday school Sunday lesson, lesson. Yeah. talking about that. But I, I said because it's the, the lesson was on order and sequence and how everything is has an order in life. Maybe we can even do an episode on that because it's very interesting to talk about. Which is the talk, talk from conference from Vice Ikehima, uh, yeah. who's from Mesa, Arizona. Okay, well, shout out for the locals. Woo-hoo. Bam. Just like that. Not that, you know, it's all good. <laughs> That's okay. That, that works. But uh, local boy does good kind of thing. But in my, in my talk, I was um, talking about, uh, what did you just say? I lost my train of thought. Oh, we were talking about Joseph Smith and the place. The place, yeah. So so the, the, the what happened was, um, you know, he was visited by a heavenly being, Angel Moroni, uh, four years. Numerous times. It was, I think, four. Four, right. Once a year on the same day, every year for four years, and basically was told the exact same thing, more or less. God is a God of order. God has a plan, and we need repetition. The human brain needs that. it It does, but my question was, why didn't this heavenly being appeared to Joseph Smith the night before he was supposed to dig up the plates and just say, here are the plates, right. the gold plates, go get them, start translating into the Book of Mormon. Why not? And then that's Because why. our human brains can't work no, that it's way. No, it's, it's, it's order as well, and he needed to be prepared. And he needed to learn trust. And it took time. But there's trust in that also. Yes, that's right. Because he's now learning to trust in the Lord because he, he totally didn't, he needed to be validated. Can you imagine having that experience and then going home and nope. saying, do I trust in that? Was that real? That would be a really difficult one. He talked to his parents. They validated him. Then he tried talking to the preachers. They did not because they did not want their congregation. It was out of fear. Congregation to be taken away. They didn't want him to be better than them. And, and they actually negated a lot of that. But he learned to trust because of those things. And that's where it was built line upon line. And that's what new members need. And that's what we need. And even people who have fallen away and say, I can't trust the church because of this or this. Really look at that and say, did you put your trust in yourself or your trust in a man or was your trust really put in God and can you really trust God and if you understand the doctrines you can trust the truth in that it's it's the other pieces that we learn it's okay for them to be human I I can trust them knowing they're doing their best in the in what you're kind of what you're talking about right and you you have to also um and again this is counterculture to the to the culture of the church but you have to implement principles in your life to build trust if you do something and you see that it works you trust that process now you know what i mean like because you've you've actually seen it it, because you've done it and you've seen it but the culture of the church just wants to spoon feed you and tell you this is what you do and this is what you believe in and this is what you trust and for a lot of people you never gain that trust even though they hear it all the time you never actually go through those activities in that process to gain the try to have the experience to see for yourself that it works and then you trust it and that's what's called a testimony and then that can't be taken away from you unless you give it away but it's not your testimony then becomes independent of uh, trusting in other people and that's a good question for is my testimony built upon the rock of the redeemer or is it built upon, I, I sing in nursery, one of my callings is nursery singing time. The wise man built his house upon a rock. It's not built upon the sand where the sand can wash it away. Where is my testimony really built? Is it trusting in the Lord? Um, and, and there's you know, scriptures about that. Um, I'm looking at one in Alma that uh, I do whatsoever, whosoever shall put their trust in God shall be supported in their trials and their troubles and their afflictions and shall be lifted up at the last days. Is my trust really in the Lord in my trials and my afflictions? Or do I curse the Lord and say, curse you, why am I going through this affliction? Why did you give this to me? But if you trust in him, you realize that all of this does come from him. And even whenever church leaders fall away, it's a good wake-up call of where is my testimony? Is it based on the, the Redeemer and the Rock? Or is it based on my bishop or on my stake present? If your parents fall away, if your spouse goes out and, and does something, if, you're, if your testimony isn't based on these truths and on this trust that you have built, and again, you have to know what that is. And that's where your line upon line comes in. Whenever you join the church, it can't be built overnight. Trust is never built overnight. Trust in a marriage isn't built overnight. Trust Any relationship. In anything. Uh, even, you know, when you think about uh, just, for example, something that popped into my mind was sales. And a person 
will needs to see an ad or they need to see a pitch or something about a product like seven times before they actually purchase. They need to be they need to hear about it about on average seven times before they actually purchase because they're building trust. Uh-huh. And you, you know, it's it's not necessarily as common that you'll just someone will just tell you about something and pitch you something and then you just say, yeah, I'm in, I'll, I'll, I'll buy it. But that. that's interesting. People are more likely to purchase something if they have a friend that's used it and they're like, oh, this but is the best trust. thing ever, but they trust in their friend. Their trust friend. is in their friend. They, there's credibility there. Correct. That's exactly right. And that's where we have the people on the internet that are influencers and why... Oh, yeah. And the, that's why we have multi-level marketing. Yes, because it's this level of... It's true. It's true. They will trust in an influencer. And now we get into the church. And did I really get into the church because I was in trust? I trusted an influencer or someone I was... The missionary that taught me or someone... Or what did I really find it myself? And again, nowhere in any of the doctrine does it say, believe somebody else. President Nelson will say over and over, and he continues to emphasize it more... Find out for yourself. You must have personal revelation. That's personal, not Joe revelation that I listen to and I go, that's great revelation, Joe. My revelation is pretty good, I'll be honest. It's (laughs) spot on most of the time. I think I'll follow that for me too. (laughs) If the prophet receives revelation, that's for him to disperse to the church because he has stewardship over us. But Joe's revelation is Joe's revelation. I need to find my own or I will not survive. And he tells us that about everything. Go home, read, read, lay the foundation, study, ponder, you know, and pray and listen and get that burning testimony that we'll need in the coming days. But do you think that people are confused by that because they go to church the next week and they're just spoon-fed the gospel? And, yes. And they're t- I mean, you know what I mean? Like, that, how confusing is that? And what's the, what's the remedy for that as well. I mean, I think people just got to the point where they don't think anymore. So how do they reverse that and start? And, and ding, the light turns on. They go to church, someone tries to spoon feed them and they get repulsed because my first, my first um, response to someone trying to spoon feed me is pushing it away. Remember when your two-year-old did that? You used to feed him and then they push the spoon away and they go, uh-uh, no more. I want to do it on my own. My first, whenever people say, and you need to do it at church, I just immediately am repulsed. My energy literally pushes it back to them, and I say, don't tell me what to do. Because that may be for you, but you have absolutely no right to tell me how to live my life, because they don't. They don't, but they think that that's what being a good member of the church is. Um, just as an example, this is it's, it's funny, but it's silly, but it's so cultural. Um, this is a friend of mine. Uh, she went to church not long ago, and... And she walked in, and she was alone, and there was a, a guy there uh, who, um, who, who, who just basically took her or, or told her, hey, listen, here, let me show you where to sit. Let me, let, me, let, me, let me show you where to sit next to somebody. Let me kind of pair you up with somebody like that. And, and just like completely uncomfortable, mm-hmm. very weird, very inappropriate in a sense. Now, he wasn't being you know, sexual or anything weird about it, but he just kind of felt like that it, it was his job to show her where to sit at church. You know what I mean? And again, don't maybe, tell me where to sit. Well, that's what I mean. And maybe he was just like, he was being nice, but I the, think, the problem... I think he had good intentions of, oh, right. here, let me help you to find a place to feel welcome. Right. But to her, that wasn't a welcoming well, no, gesture. No, not at all. It's like, I'll find my own seat, right? And, and, and yeah, I'm sure his intentions were good, but this shows you what what the culture is, is like, where it's just like, we have to help everybody. We have to do everything for everybody. We have to spoon feed them. Don't worry about trying to look around and find a place to sit. And maybe you're not even going to sit by somebody you know. Let me just show you where you can sit, right? And just, let me just take you and, and sit you next to somebody so that you're welcoming and not alone. And it's like, no, you're, you're literally taking my agency away. And it's none of your business, first of all, where I want to sit. And it's certainly not your job. Is this your calling to usher people in and, and, and literally tell sit and tell sit. them where to sit? No, that's <laughs> stupid. And so this is, you can just see where the, the culture, the programming of the culture comes in, where we just kind of feel like we have to do everything for everybody. And also people have, as a result too, have come to expect people to do things for them. Like for example, when yeah. you maybe move or you have something going on, you fully expect everybody in your ward or your congregation to come over and do the work for you, right? To move you for free, and right? And all the stuff and do all these things for you. Like they, the problem is there's this entitlement that gets created from the culture of the church where it's just like, we're gonna do everything for you and spoon feed you and take care of all this stuff for you because we love you. But it's like, okay, but you're also stopping me from learning and growing and developing myself. And I don't know, that kind of sounds 
like, you know, uh, Satan's plan, let's say, or what the Democrats are doing right now. Well, and it's being 100% responsible for myself that I can trust that people in the ward will ask only if they need help. That I can be, they can be responsible for themselves, but there are times, I really do believe there are times people do need help and that they will only ask whenever that is absolutely... And it's okay to help them, but I, th- I think th- th- it goes beyond that. It, it becomes into like everything. Oh, I just had a baby, so I expect the ward to bring me meals for the next month. Like that's literally some people's attitude. And again, that's built upon something of, you're going to take care of me, it's my expectation, and it's not that I can trust, that I can take care of myself. Well, exactly. we're, we're back into trusting ourselves. Well, where, where it starts, right? You have to trust yourself first before you can start trusting other Correct. people. Correct, and it's just built uh, built upon that. And it's good questions to ask, like, what kinds of things do I have faith in the church? Like, do I have faith in the law of tithing and trust? Do I trust if I pay my 10%, I'll be blessed? That's what it is, and that's what people don't understand. It, a lot of people think that, tithing is about money and they say well you know not gonna, it's, it's not that's that's the funny part it's it's all it's literally not about money in any way even though it, it is money and the the question and this is how how you answer determines whether you actually pay tithing or not and the question simply is do you have faith to pay 10 percent of your income to the lord and trust that the lord will make up the difference that he'll if, bless you. That he'll bless he you. will he'll bless you abundantly difference. because that's abundantly. his promise it in is. the scriptures. If your answer is yes, you pay tithing. If your answer is no, no, you don't pay tithing. It's not about money at all. The Lord doesn't need your money. Okay, I don't know how much care how much money you make. You think you're making a huge difference, right? By by paying your tithing, financially, money wise, the Lord doesn't need it. It's not about that. It was never about the money. It's about it's an exercise in faith and trust. And if you trust that, yeah, you know what, even though things are tight or we don't make a lot of money, if I give 10% of my income to God, I trust that he will make up the difference. But that's having trust in God, which is uh, kind of at the pinnacle, right? I mean, you have to develop trust in all those other areas first. You have to trust in yourself and kind of move up that ladder. And you have to move up the ladder. And being able to trust in myself first is, again, trusting my emotions, trusting my experience that it is real logical and makes sense. And you go to church and you have that spiritual experience, trust in that, listen to it. Don't feel, and don't compare. Well, so-and-so got this answer to their prayer. I didn't, and they don't trust in their revelation. Just because someone else got a particular way burning in their bosom, um, they had a clear mind, they felt peaceful, they had someone appear to them. You know, people will say, oh, my my favorite is, well, when someone appears, an angel appears to me, I'll know it's the right answer. Where's, Who the hell says that? Oh. Are you serious? You know people like that? Yeah. You haven't, you haven't been in the church long enough. I guess not, because, man, like those people are living in a dream world. <laughs> yeah, and, and they want, because they want what they want, and I can't trust the Lord until I get what I want. That's not trusting in the Lord. You've got to put your trust in him, and whatever he sees to bless you with is whatever is, you're in need of in, in his plan and understanding that. But it, their, what's interesting is even their understanding of trust with people is, my expectation of you is this. If you don't give it to me, I don't trust you. Yeah, that's true. And that's not built upon true trust. It's my expectation. So it's letting go of that and really searching. That's this, in, again, awareness and introspection is what is trust to me? How do I understand trust with other people? Does it mean that if I tell them to be there for lunch, they'll be there? If I, do, if I loan them money, do they give it back to me or does that destroy my trust? Um, if I tell them a secret and they don't tell it is that trust you know everyone's got different levels or understandings Mm -hmm. of that well it's very prevalent you know in the dating world too right i mean and and unfortunately you know men do horrible things to women to betray trust but then women assume that they can't trust a guy again right especially if it's happened it's hard it's i'll be honest with you when i went back into the dating scene it was really hard to trust men to go out with them because many of them are are had alternate Motives and agendas. Right? Agendas, morals, values. And, and it was hard to know what you're getting into. Um, and you want to trust. Like you want to go out and be able to trust this person. But it's it's especially when you've been hurt or that you've had bad experiences. And But it's letting go of those bad experiences and saying this is a new place and I've learned. So learning from that and trusting in your emotion of, wow, that was not... Um, fun. I was really hurt. I'm not going to get myself into a situation 
where I feel that way or that's that experience and learning the next time I feel that coming on, I go, mm, yeah, that's probably not a good experience. I think I'm going to not go out with that man because he lied to me. That's a huge one for me. People that lie do not earn my trust. So if he says he works at Intel, he better work at Intel. If he says that... I do. Yeah. <laughs> I wasn't lying about that. Yeah. If he says that he um, has a job or makes a certain amount of money, then he better be honest. Are there pictures on... Uh, you know, the website, if it doesn't look like who they really are, my trust is not established in that because just be true and honest with who you are. You, you need to be for sure. And it's healthy to be able to say, I don't trust you and I'm walking away from this. Yep. Uh, it's unhealthy to say, and by the way, uh, I, I don't trust any other man now because they're all going to lie to me. And that's the bubble wrap of generalization. And now I need to protect myself against all of this. And again, that's the same with people who leave the church. I was hurt. I was offended. I had my trust broken by someone. I'm leaving the entire church because I can't forgive or let go of that with one person. It's one person. It happens. And, and it happens. It will happen because men are frail and they make mistakes. They, they do. And it, it's, I, I, it is, I mean, again, you know, if your, if your trust is in that, uh, in a man versus our leader versus being in the Lord, you're going to be disappointed. You're probably going to be really upset if that's where your trust stops. And it, you know, it's, it's up to you to, to build that trust and, and to continue to, to grow that trust so that you, you do end up trusting in God. Um, but, uh, you know, you, the, the culture again, just creates, this, this problem, problem. creates this so let, problem. Let's talk for a minute about what would it look like? I love to, I love to have, I'm such an optimist, the optimistic, what would our wards look like if we had wards that truly trusted in each other, trusted that when I came to church, no one was there to use me, manipulate me. They came there to love me, to connect to me, to be open, to be vulnerable. They were not going to judge. And they were there just as I was to worship and to give love and light and truth to each other. And we would learn from each other. I trust that they came doing their best. They may be having a crappy day. I'm all right with that. And then they come in and they go, I'm really having a crappy day today. And I go, good for you. Thanks for being honest. Because I can trust you that you're going to even be honest with me as opposed to coming in and saying, oh my gosh, life is so wonderful. I'm so blessed. You know, the Lord is, is so generous when deep inside they're thinking, ah, I don't believe any of this, but I'm going to look good at church. No, it, is. it is. The whole church culture is built on keeping up appearances. That's all it's, that's Which all is it a is. great British show, but... Oh, it's we, a great British show. <laughs> <laughs> Hyacinth, Richard. Exactly. But, but it's, it's the trust then that I can share openly in church and no one's going to judge me and say, wow, I can't believe you shared that. That was... That was I don't know if I can, you know, spend time with you or like you anymore because you were open and honest. <laughs> that sounds stupid. It does, but there are people who make those judgments and you can't trust them anymore as as people that you can share openly with and that's kind of where church is, has gotten. It is. And another thing that I've noticed about that very fact is that the we uh, like the church culture is so bent on loving and accepting and forgiving everyone that it gives people an out to be jerks to be bad people because or, or to not not be the best version of themselves to 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 maybe betray that trust because they they think and they know that oh you know what everyone will forgive me or you know if i don't um so i had a friend just recently who uh, put on a, a musical devotional which was beautiful and amazing and uh you know there was someone who was scheduled to participate and who backed out at the very last minute, like less than an hour before it was starting. And she had to scramble to actually get someone to fill in and to sing a song and things like that. And I just, that just makes me, and I don't, I don't know. I mean, it, it, who knows what the reason was and whatnot. Um, but uh, the, the, the thing to me is it's like, people are okay doing that to someone because they just think, oh, well, we're all Mormon or whatever. We all love each other. We all forgive each other mm -hmm. and all these things. And I think that false idea of we should just be really so forgiving and so loving of other people it gives people the opportunity to not be their best and to to take advantage to of take that advantage. to take advantage of that and say you know what i'm going to just screw this person over and and you know it's i don't i'm not going to feel bad about it because it's like hey listen they'll understand they i mean they forgive it's all good and it's just it's just kind of how it is i think it does that i think it, it gives people a, a temptation 
to take advantage and, and to not really be the and, best person they can be. And then I go into, does that person really even trust themselves? Because That's a really good question. If, if they don't have trust in themselves, how can I trust you? And, and for them to even say, come in and say, I don't even know if I can trust myself today. And, and think of, again, how wonderful that would be if someone's really struggling with suicidal ideations and they came in and they said, I don't even know if I can trust to keep myself alive today. And people could say, I'll, I'll be here to love and support you. People wouldn't kill themselves because all they want is for someone to say, I care. I was watching a, a YouTube video of a man who jumped off a bridge because he wanted to die. About halfway down, of course, he thought, oh, wait, I don't want to die. <laughs> it usually happens that way. And he, he ended up being one of the four people who survived. I think it was off of the Golden Gate Bridge. And he was extreme. He was hurt, but he healed miraculously, never had any long-lasting uh, effects from it but he said when he before he jumped he was on the bridge and he um just wanted one person to reach out to him and say hey i see you i care about you you're someone and he just seemed very transparent that no one cared he rode the bus nobody talked to him nobody acknowledged him he got off right there someone had a camera hey can you take a picture of us and he thought here's my chance they'll at least see me and say thanks so much and feel you know a connection with them nothing just used and and he said that's all i wanted was for somebody to say you matter and that's wow. really what church is is to be able to come in and say people look at you and say you know what i love you you matter and you can trust that, that you really do matter to them and then it's asking yourself how do I get that level of everybody matters to me, but tr in all honesty, that you trust yourself that everyone does matter, that you really are connected, that you really do love them because they're a child of God, because they're your brother and sister. And that's why we call each other brother and sister. Which is really weird to me, by the way, as a convert. I have to tell you, that's very uncomfortable. <laughs> it's a little different. It's a little different, uh, to say the least, and it's weird. And um, so first of all, I'll say that I, I definitely know people who do make an effort to do exactly what you're saying and make people feel welcome, which is wonderful and it's beautiful. And I would never discourage that in any way. I think the, the, the culture, though, has kind of created a situation where, um, you know, people can take advantage uh, of, of people's goodwill and, and just, they just kind of assume that they'll understand and it's okay to, to do this because we all, they're not going to get mad at me. They're Mormon. They're not going to get mad at me. They're going to forgive me. So no big deal. I'm just going to do that. So there's, there's, it's a bit of a dichotomy that way, but we should absolutely create that loving environment. And I think overall Mormons in general do a good job I of do. that as people, because that, that's really super important. Um, you just, what would you just say before I got on a tangent about me? Um, I don't remember, but I am going to go to pause for, a commercial for break just a second, being it. single uh, and, okay, and we'll trust in the church. Whenever I became single in a family ward, there was a really interesting energy that happened. People no longer talked to me or sat by me. I felt like an outsider and the feeling of being loved and accepted shifted because now I was different. And, um, I would go to Sunday school and um, sit by myself, which was really interesting. And if I would sit next to a man, they would get really uncomfortable because I was divorced and single, except for one man in my ward who made a point to sit next to me every week and ask how I was doing and really connect with me. And his wife was wonderful. There was never any any type of doubt that because I was single that there was an issue with that and he will be my eternal friend because he was the one person in the ward male especially he's part of what helped me to start to start to trust men again that mm -hmm. he could be kind and loving and care about me in in being single and he wasn't my home teacher interestingly well, enough he was, well you don't have to be and that, that whole thing is a, I'm glad I got rid of that program to be honest because yeah, uh, it's it just it, was, it, it painted the wrong picture for people it, it put people in the wrong mode it put them in in checklist and stat mode instead of loving and caring mode uh, but that is that behavior that that guy was doing is purely what being a Christian is all yeah. about and that's yeah. why we're here and there's just so much complication especially from the culture that that bogs us down with all these other distractions where it's really just about loving people and being a good person 
And you don't have to be a Mormon to do that. You don't have to belong to any church to do that. A lot of people do that by default because that's what's in their heart, and they don't belong to a church, and they don't care to belong to a church. doesn't mean that they're not good people, and it certainly doesn't mean God doesn't love them. I just remembered what I was going well, to say. Well, you're going with that. That whole brother and sister thing. Oh, my gosh. All right. A little the, freaked out. But but oh. we are truly brothers and sisters, but it's a whole different feeling to well, call being everybody. It, but, then, but then, yeah, the way you act, like, honestly, when... Somebody comes up to you in Walmart on a Tuesday and says, oh, hey, Brother Peck, what's going on? Or whatever. It's like, dude, we are not a church. You know what I mean? Like, this is embarrassing. <laughs> like, my name is Joe, okay? And I don't, like, I personally, and you'll notice this about me, I do not call people brother and sister no, at all. You, I don't. No. I, I, I never, ever do. I, I don't like it. I think it's uncomfortable for me. Um, it's, it's, it's very weird, but it's uh, from my point of view. But also, what I prefer to do is I prefer to call people by their first name. Uh-huh. because then I know them, and then I have a relationship with them, and I've established a bit of a friendship. When you call someone by their first name, it's, it implies that you have more of a casual kind of relationship, and you have something there. It's not a formal business relationship. It's not a formal any kind of relationship where you don't really know each other. Uh, it is, and I like to be friends with people. I like to get to know people. I don't want to keep things so formal that even even calling people bishop or whatever. I mean, I call my bishop by his first name, and, and you know. But it's not disrespectful. No, that's a, no. But people again, the culture makes you think. Right. Well, this bishop, we put him on a pedestal. We, we, you know, you have to call him bishop. You don't call him that. You don't. You know, it's and crazy. that's a level of them trusting you that you have the best intentions. I'm not trying to talk down to you. I trust you that you are just connecting because that's who you are. And that's the feeling that you give off, which is true with that. that that's exactly who I am, for sure, 100%. And I, I strive to make relationships with people. And I, I love to call people by their first name because that means I know you and I have a relationship with you and I care enough to even talk to you, uh, you know, which isn't always the case with some people, uh, especially at church. Anyway, not going to judge here. Um, moving on. <laughs> off your that. soapbox. Well, exactly. Exactly. I know. That's where I'm most comfortable. You know that. <laughs> <laughs> so we talked about brainwashing. I love that, uh, that whole thing, because I, I've always felt that the church culture brainwashes people. Um, what, uh, what do you think? Can we kind of talk? I, I think I'd like to just kind of explore how the brainwashing happens. I wonder if people really are aware that the brainwashing is going on. Maybe you don't. When you get brainwashed, you, you, you don't. Um, you typically that, don't because it's done in a very subtle way. And the brainwashing occurs, I, I, it, it's, it's a thing that happens at home. Parents aren't aware of it because it was simply, now we're to the traditions of the fathers and mothers. It was the way that they were taught. And, and they, it is by telling someone, this is the way that it is. It's good or bad, right or wrong, over and over and over and over. Shame on you for doing this. You don't do this. You don't look at this. You don't. And it's shaming them and having them not think for their own. And as opposed to saying, well, you know, here's something that, that I feel or that I believe and, and gaining an understanding. And I, again, with little kids, it's a little different. They have a bug in their mouth. You're going to tell them eh, you need to spit that out. That's gross. Cause it is, yeah, of course. but it's more of, okay, your kid wants to watch like our kids want to watch squid games on Netflix. And it's explaining to them why that's not an appropriate child program, not shame on you for even thinking about it, because they really don't even know what it's about. But whenever you teach them, that program is really about people who are put in a situation that they're lied to and then brutally killed. It's not something for a a teenager to watch. When you're an adult, if you choose to watch it, that's up to you. But in our home, I'm here to lead and guide you in that way. I'm not trying to brainwash. I'm trying to be a disciple or a teacher or teach them through love and kindness. And and brainwashing usually just happens because that's the way people were treated and that's the way that they understand and they're trying to do what they know. And you can't change what you don't know till you realize, oh gosh, I'm just trying to, or I'm allowing myself to be led astray by that because I'm listening to something that I don't, again, turn inside, ask, search, seek, feel, and get in tune with it. I'm just going through the motions of I come, I do what they want, and then and then I get the praise or I get the love because I've done what how how they want it done and the way they want it done. And that's not them thinking on their own. And they really need to come out and, and say, you know, this is this is my thought, these are my feelings and and own and express those. <clears throat> we we've alluded to before that the uh, the manipulation and, and brainwashing or excuse me the uh, the we all yeah the spoon excuse me the, the spoons spoon feeding yeah the spoon feeding that goes on in the culture of the church is brainwashing 
right? In, in terms of the church. It, it is and it isn't. Brainwashing is a technical term, is where someone um, basically inundates you with these thoughts and then there's usually a threat of some type of harm or something that's going to come to you. Um, if you don't follow those things. And so it's not, in the church, it's not necessarily that this harm will come to you or there's not a threat typically attached to it, but it's more of, again, teaching the doctrine the way I was taught and not figuring it out for myself. So I've been brainwashed and now I'm just trying to do the same thing to others. And in telling them things like, and you know, you'll go to hell or you'll be damned or there's no recovery from this. We're back to the chewing gum example. That would be a, a sense of, look, this is what happens. This is the result. There's no coming back from that. That's not teaching in a healthy like ethical, moral way, because I've never really read into the atonement and understand that even though I have a sexual sin, I can be redeemed through my savior and I can be, you know, use the atonement. I won't, I'm not like a piece of chewing gum, but can you see how that when people look at it and they're like, Oh, that's horrible. They're, they don't have a, an understanding of it. Oh, no, it is. And I mean, it's, uh, I, I don't know. I mean, you might argue that, uh, there are, um, consequences to that kind of brainwashing because people will as a result of the spoon feeding they'll not develop a testimony on their own they won't learn really how to trust god they won't develop and and grow in their faith the way that they can which ultimately can affect their eternal progression correct like that so there's there's risks there is and yet you want those people to learn to turn to that on their own and say i'm not going to just i'm not a lazy learner I'm not just going, it's, but what are we taught in school? Go to school, take the notes, write them down, spit them back out on the test. That's not Socratic learning and it's not a higher level of learning. Think on your own, think outside the box, come up with ideas, ask, challenge, you know, be a part of your learning process, not a lazy learner. Same thing in church, ask, challenge, say, I don't understand this. This doesn't make sense to me. Don't just allow them, uh, you know, in, in class, it's like Ferris Bueller, Fry, Fry, Bueller. You know, oh, Bueller, yeah. Bueller, 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 Bueller. Nobody there. Nobody there. In church, <laughs> nobody there. Okay, the, here's the question. Nothing. Oh, I know. And people still get uncomfortable when you challenge, though, when you ask questions. I make people uncomfortable in church all the time. It's fabulous. It is, I know. Challenge it. It is wonderful, but people still are in the mindset that we don't do that. And that's the problem. Yeah. And it's putting your trust again, the false trust in, I put my trust in man and that he's going, there's where the brainwashing happens. When brainwashing happens, people put their trust in an entity or a government or a person. And that's, don't put your trust in them in an empty place. Only trust in those things that you feel and experience and you have found out on your own. Yeah, I know. And I think people might assume, well, you know, you guys trust your prophet and you do everything he says and you put all your trust in him and... Um, no, I, I, I don't to, to the point where I, my whole faith is based on him. My testimony is not in our prophet or anyone. Like I mentioned before, my, my testimony comes from the Holy Ghost that has confirmed to me that this gospel is true and that the Savior is the Savior and that the plan of salvation is real and that we do have a, a loving Heavenly Father and we do have the opportunity to return home uh, to be with him and to have this beautiful eternal progression and be happy. It's a plan of happiness and we have all of that. All of that is absolutely true. It doesn't come from what anyone says. The prophet is necessary because he is God's mouthpiece, right? And he's the conduit. He's a conduit. It's simply that. And we should be listening to what he says, but he also does say, go pray about it and ask for yourself. In our spiritual path, he is the conduit to receive the revelation. And then we open up and have to walk down the path ourselves. If we just listen to him, we're still stuck. We're not traveling down the path. And that's not, and that's not trusting because trust is going into the darkness, you know, taking that journey and, and having that trust in the Lord that if the prophet asked me to do it, I'm going to trust in him that, that that's the Lord mouth and I'm going to try it. And you're going to trust in God. Right. Well, I trust in God that he has put the prophet there as the mouthpiece and he is the one who is at the head of the church doing that. And then I go out and experiment upon it and try it for myself. And if it doesn't fit, I go, okay, well, what's going on with either me or, you know, or, or challenging or questioning. And a lot of times things will happen and they will even go back in, in time. Like whenever, um, they've talked about whenever, um, parents, uh, the children not getting baptized, whenever their parents were having issues 
with um, same-sex attraction or they weren't, you know, and they and there was a short period of time where the children had to get permission from both parents or couldn't be baptized, and they didn't understand why, and they said they really didn't even want to implement it, but it was just, it was something to do with the laws of the land, and then once it kind of worked itself out, things now, it's changed back to that, and so the, many times we don't always understand where the Lord's taking things and it would be the same with the pandemic. Where is he taking us? Why is he giving us this challenge? Just trusting in the Lord, trusting in the prophet, trusting in the things that they tell us and listening because he will direct us in that path. But you've got to still choose on your own what to you do You do, with and it's that. always up to you. That, that's right. But getting to that level where you can trust God really makes a big difference. That's ultimately what it's about. And like we said, it's a it's a step-by-step -step progression. It's a ladder that you need to climb to get there. And it's okay if you're on the bottom rung right now. You're on the journey. You're on the path. You're on the path. Uh, just you know, make sure that that ladder is uh, leaning against the right, right wall, not the wrong wall. And so how do you build trust? It's line upon line, precept upon precept. I trust in the Lord. I pay my tithing. That's a good one. Yeah. And I allow the blessings to come. I, I pray, I get an answer, I follow that. And, and then the blessings come and it's little by little. And sometimes it's even understanding. I pray, I believe I get an answer, I, I follow it, but maybe it isn't the way I turned out. It's still trusting in him that that's... that's well, maybe that was right for you, personally. Right. That's his plan for you. And you know, trusting in him, thinking one thing and having another thing happen isn't a bad thing. That's probably what was supposed to happen. And you might even realize, well, I probably needed this more than I realized. And this is God's plan for me. And there's a reason for that. And that's, again, trusting in him and doing that. But you can see how the, the culture of the church kind of uh, goes, it really goes against that because we just say, oh, here's a prophet. You have to listen to what he says. Everybody quiet and listen to the prophet, which is respectful. And, of course, we want to listen to what he, what he says. But for, for most people, it stops there we just, it stops there we listen well, they don't go home and they don't they don't, don't do what he about it. they don't think about right. it no, they and just blind. go experiment it's, no there's the, the culture is all about blind faith and they yeah. just think i'm being so obedient and again that's more fear where i'm so afraid if i'm not obedient that these things are going to happen to me that i just do these crazy traditions and not even think about it and, and determine whether that's even right for me there's the problem and people have such a hard time with trust because they get steeped in the traditions. And that's where we're seeing this shift in the church. People who trusted in three hours of church, now there's either two or one or none for a while, and they've fallen away because my trust wasn't built upon the Lord. It was built upon this structure, structure that I always this, believed. Right, that I always believed, always and I just was. was led along by it. By but Flax it's a tradition. Cord. That's it, it, is it is a tradition, and the traditions change, and the prophet gets... The revelation to do those things and listen the temple ceremonies change and we trust in those because he says you know what this is what the lord wants and this is where we're going with this and and it's not that and people will fall away the blacks receive the priesthood well that's not the tradition and people fell away at that and where again is your testimony based and this is what i think our podcast is really is you know getting rid of those old cultures and traditions that are not effective and not the truth and they don't build trust because I'm not, I'm putting my trust in a tradition. And that is, that is not a safe place to ever put your, because the traditions of the fathers are, are flawed. It's, it's destructive. It goes beyond flaw for it's, me. It's absolutely destructive because it, it's setting people up for failure. It's giving people false hope. They don't, they don't learn the principles of the gospel the way that they're supposed to learn there's them. There's the key. Right. And there's only one way to do things. And that changes. And so there's something interesting that I read uh, about principles and rules and there are there are rules to follow which ultimately help you understand the principle but from time to time rules change but the principle doesn't change Correct. And that's where people are falling short they see the rules change and they say oh well this isn't true anymore this doesn't work anymore but the rules are just this they're they're changing to, it's just a different way to help you to get to the principle, but the overall principle, the gospel principles never change, even if rules do. And that was very insightful for me because it's like, you know what? Yeah, it's okay that things have changed in a temple ceremony. It's okay that right. things have changed the way we go to church and what we do and how we worship. Ultimately, those principles will never change of faith, repentance, baptism, all those principles. Because we do them differently and get to those, you know, we become uh, able to do those principles, I guess, differently, or we, uh, the way we approach them is differently, the way we do them at church is differently. It doesn't change the fact that those principles are true and real, and they're important. Right. And, and, that's, and it's being fluid in our belief system, and again, trusting that the people who lead and guide the church are the ones that will change those according to God's will and what, what we want. But yeah, the traditions are the things that hold people back, and they say, well, we don't do it that way. Um, 
ask an Orthodox Jew about that, and they will yeah. let you it's know. It's all about uh, it's, it's tradition. all about tradition. Yeah, we mm-hmm. can go into Fiddler on the Roof and talk about that one. But <laughs> that's, it is about tradition, but the traditions are are not the gospel. And the Sadducees and Pharisees were much that way. Here are the laws. You're going to follow all of these exactly. And the Savior said, no, that's the lesser law. That's no longer what we live. We live by the law of the Spirit. Or And they missed the mark completely because of, of that. And isn't that ironic that we like the culture of the church kind of teaches the old law, right? Where it's just about, here are the rules. You just follow the rules. That's all we do. We but all blindly fall, follow. fall blindly and we all fall in the same way. And well, that to me is, is crazy to think that these are people in a modern church who proclaim to live and love the gospel, but they don't understand it. Why do I, why do I want to go to the temple? Because they said so. No. That's exactly why everyone goes to the temple. No, why do I don't want to go to the temple. Kids get married in the temple. Why do I go on a mission? Because your parents told you so, and if you don't, you're going to make your daddy look bad because he's bishop. Oh, yeah, that's a hard one. Don't get me started on that crap. Yeah, <laughs> that, that's yeah. total shite to me. Uh, you don't have a choice. You're going to do this. No, yeah. it is. You know why? Asking yourself, ask and find. Why is it I want to get sealed in the temple? Why is it I want to have an eternal family? Why is it that I sacrifice? Why is it I have a law of sacrifice? Why is it that I serve? And if it's because I don't want to look bad or I don't want, because it's the traditions, well, it, you know, we serve because we're Mormon. No, we serve because we love other people. And we love God and we want to we show them God. that we love God. And that's the whole point of it. I know. And that, that gets crazy. I mean, the, the temple is just a whole nother thing. I mean, I understand the ordinances, of course, and, and how important it is and, and how it leads to salvation. But the, the problem is just the, the message that's delivered to everybody about the temple and people are bribed and forced and shamed coerced and guilted, in coerced into going because that's what you have to do. And trust me, it's the best thing for you whether you know it or not. Well, no, it's not. No, it's not because there's two other kingdoms that say maybe those might be better for me possibly. I don't know. It's, it's well, not your choice and it's, to make. And again, it's all about trusting, trusting in myself and trusting where I fit and being able to have the courage to say, you know what? I want to come to church. I want to partake. I want to do this. But that really isn't just for me right now. And other people trusting that they're being really honest and it's not, maybe it's out of fear and maybe, I don't know, but letting them, letting them own that space and letting them be in that and saying, you know what? I still love and accept you just for where you're at. If you ever have questions, I'm here. I'm, but I can trust that you will govern yourself. When people are too worried about what everyone else is going to think because their kids didn't get married in the temple. They all automatically start assuming things. They start asking what happened or what, what's going on or why aren't they worthy or all this, none of their business, right? All this crap that they, it has they know it has nothing to do with anything. Parents, it's not, no, it right. doesn't at all. But uh, people are so afraid of the perception Right. There's the biggest thing. That's is the I problem. Want, I That's want exactly to look the problem. Right. I know. So I think we have really hit the nail on this. Trust on this one. Yep. Head. Yep. What do you think? Yep. So I, I think so. And it's people going home and just asking, where do where do I trust? Do I trust myself? How do I trust others? And how do I how do I really trust in the Lord and and deepening and strengthening that trust through having faith and and challenging on a continuous basis because it's an ongoing everyday line upon line thing. Good job, Joe. It is, absolutely. No, great episode once again. So thank you, everyone, for listening. And uh, we, as always, look forward to uh, your feedback on our episodes. And uh, we look forward to uh, talking to you in the next one. And in the meantime, keep the faith and keep your stick on the ice. Bye. Cheers. Thank you for listening to the Impeccable Perspective Podcast. Subscribe to us on Spotify, Amazon Prime, iHeartRadio, and wherever fine podcasts are sold. 